Russia are promoted. They have their storybook ending. Howdy y'all, welcome to the Wrexham Texan. My name is Jake Green and I am currently in the Denver International Airport, so I'm going to try to keep it down. If that means you need to turn it up or if it sounds like I'm whispering to you, um, don't be creeped out, it's not my fault. Um, actually, it kind of is my fault for deciding to do this in an airport, but just get over it, enjoy it, love it. <laughs> Um, today's episode is a commentary and analysis of the second episode of the documentary series Welcome to Wrexham, first season, titled Reality. Good episode. Um, not a ton happened in this one. Um, it was not the most exciting episode, but it did play a crucial role in, in how the story would be told from here on out. And so I'd like to talk about that for a minute. And one of the theories that I have, I, I could be completely wrong about this, but one of the theories that I have about the theme song going from the times there are changing to the every day it's getting closer song, um, which I still need to learn the name of that song because I'm an idiot. Um, I feel like this episode is about... It, it, the whole episode is based around giving the current administration a chance, giving the current team a chance, and when they ultimately fail, it's time to change. And so I feel like maybe that could be the reason that the theme song changes after this episode, um, because the first two are all about a massive amount of change for a large number of people. Whereas everything afterwards is small incremental changes over time, which is how you build an organization, build a business, build that kind of, build a football club um, up from, you know, fifth league to fourth, third, second, premier, championship, all that good stuff. Um, so, yeah, I feel like this might be why the theme song could have been changed after episode two. Um, but beginning of this episode, Rob meets Ryan, which is just adorable. Rob says Ryan isn't that tall, but he's still like six inches, seven inches taller than Rob. So <laughs> that was just funny. And then it launches into one of the things I probably quote most, which is E4 Williams. Um, just, I don't know how many things remind me of E4 Williams, but I, I drive a lot of trailers now these days and... There are just certain words that sound like E4, and so I'll just launch into E4 Williams all the time, and it's just become a staple in my vocabulary at this point. <laughs> so <laughs> if I ever need a trailer in the UK, it will be from E4 Williams. The commercial they did for, for, for that company was hysterical, loved Rob and Ryan doing that. As with everything, Ryan does commercial-wise, it's fantastic. Um, we go straight from there into the staff meeting with uh, Spencer. 
and he's it's a super somber somber uh, staff meeting um, everybody seems really on edge nervous not happy to be there it's weird because I feel like I'd be pumped but I guess if I knew I was doing a bad job uh, at my job I would be terrified if a new owner came in so it kind of makes sense that a lot of the people were <laughs> seemed very nervous and um, on edge and yeah, afterwards, Spencer kind of gets choked up, notes notes that uh, everybody was tense, and def he definitely wasn't happy about that, um, which just endears you to him even more. And this is the official point where Humphrey becomes the liaison to the club. What do they call him? The executive director. Um, he shows up in Wrexham, introduces himself to a few people, and... Uh, it's at that point where we meet Sean Harvey, who was the CEO of the English Football League and came down to help out, quote unquote, with Wrexham. Um, I'm guessing that it kind of got under his skin and he loves doing it. And there's something, I don't know, there's something, some kind of energy about the club and the whole move, the whole purchased by Robin Ryan. There's something about that whole thing that makes it super attractive to people who like building things and like really difficult projects, which is how they were able to get the slew of people that they're going to get in the coming weeks. Um, I know it's Sean, Sean Harvey here. I know it's Floor, Later, Parky. Mullen, all that good stuff. Um, there's something to an underdog story. There's something to an underdog story with the force of something greater behind it as well. Um, and I think Robin Ryan did a great job of getting the town and the team and anybody who joins them to believe that this will happen. And that's, that's a really difficult thing to do. It's powerful and... Yeah, super respect them for, for that whole mindset. And it's during this time that Rob did mention, or Sean Harvey mentioned that Rob said that he wants to do good for the town. Um, and his first questions weren't about promotion. It was how do, we, how do we make this best for the town? And that's admirable. That's fantastic. No one's watching except Sean. So it's not like there were cameras around and he was posing for the cameras or saying things that the cameras wanted to hear. He was talking to a guy who was going to help Wrexham get promoted um, behind closed doors. So that's, that's admirable and wonderful. Yeah, then Humphrey does meet with the team, um, gives his explanation of what he does there, and then I've always wondered. So when he's leaving and the door is shutting, the whole team laughs and I've always wondered what Dean Keats or somebody said as soon as Humphrey left. <laughs> to be fair, Humphrey, uh, super endearing guy, super socially awkward in that scenario, but really asserted himself well and um, established his role and uh, seemed very genuine uh, in that moment. So that was really enjoyable. Um Let's see what we got next. Oh, then we kind of dive into 
Paul Rutherford's backstory and home life, and he gives a tour of his house. And I, I find it hilarious that even though he's speaking English, um, they're using subtitles for him. They burn in the subtitles for him, even though I feel like it's extremely clear what he's saying, but I guess a lot of people don't agree. <laughs> I guess the decision was made somewhere inside the editing room that, yeah, a lot of people aren't going to be able to recognize what this guy is saying. Let's burn in the subtitles. Um, so that is just hilarious. But he gave, gave a tour of his house, showed what he was doing to improve the house. He has a baby on the way and two already born. Um, and he's nearing the end of his football career, which is a perfect way to set up this whole episode. Um, it's... He's nearing the end of his career is a good metaphor and a good metaphor for the, the club, the current club being near the end of what it used to be. And they have, as will, as will be mentioned later, they have till the end of the season, basically, to, to fix whatever is, has been going on um, to make them lose so much and to keep them failing so they they have a little bit of time to fix it um, and if they don't then things will change uh, as a documentary filmmaker that scene with paul and his kids playing soccer at the park and all the like rough housing and messing around those are really hard scenes to shoot they're kind of awkward uh, you're kind of just telling you're kind of directing uh the the subjects what to do um and but not really giving them a script kind of being like generally just do this um you know go shoot some you know kick this kick the ball around uh play goalie um you know have your kid on your back just just do what you would normally do and that's really really hard for most people to do and so when you can come up with really good footage and 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 uh, footage that looks real and not as staged as it definitely was. That's that's impressive. That's good documentary work because uh, there are so many that make it really awkward and really apparent that they were told to do this and they have no idea how to act naturally on camera. So whoever set Paul at ease did great and whoever... Um, did the shooting did great. Paul did great. Everybody in that scene did great because that is not the easiest thing to do. Then we go over to Jordan Davis's house, look at old photos. And I like that as well. We do kind of the opposite of what we did with Paul. We see the end of his career coming, whereas Jordan, we start from the beginning. We start from the fact that he is a hometown boy and there's a nice contrast between Paul and Jordan in these back-to-back -back scenes where one is ending, one is beginning, and the one that's beginning is the future of Wrexham. Um, I thought that was fantastic editing. Again, as I said in the last episode, it all comes down to editing with the documentary, um, with any documentary. Editing literally tells the story because almost no documentary is told in a directly straight line, especially a documentary series that has so many different people in it, so many different storylines. It's really hard to do that 
in a way where it doesn't last hours and hours and hours and hours and get really, really boring. And so all the bouncing around is necessary. It's then that we start talking to Dean Keats and he understands exactly what's at stake for him. He knows that if he doesn't succeed, he will get fired. He says there are three things in life that are guaranteed as a football coach, football manager. You're born, you pay taxes, and you get canned. <laughs> and so he's not wrong. Um, in a perfect world, I feel like uh, there would be no taxes, but um, it is what it is. Um, he's not wrong. And he, you can just tell from his demeanor that it's just not going to work out. There's something about him uh, that was clear he didn't believe that they could do it. I'm not sure if anybody else caught that, but I, it seemed to me that he wasn't just nervous. He was, he had already given himself into his fate. And yeah, I think the story was written right then. I think, I think as soon as Robin Ryan acquired the team, I think Dean Keats saw the writing on the wall and resigned himself to his fate. Um, yeah, and we'll get into that here in a little while um, once we're in the game. Uh, Sean Harvey then gets interviewed by a reporter who again reassures the reporter that they are there to support the current team, the current coaching staff, and give them whatever they need in order to succeed. And so you get this recurring thing throughout this episode of we're just here to support you we're here to support you we're here to support you but there's this massive underlying tone of but you gotta win you gotta do way better than what you've been doing um, because then we go to a compilation of a bunch of characters that will come up in the future um, including Wayne Jones and um, the singer of the Declan Swans um and a few others that will be recurring characters as we go forward, but they're all talking about how a big change needs to happen and to the team and a lot of stuff needs to be fixed. And so this whole episode, you just see the writing on the wall from the very beginning, which is why it's not a particularly incredible episode. I still enjoyed it because you learn different things about people. Um, like I love the Robin Ryan meeting. I love Humphrey becoming the liaison. Um, you get to meet Sean Harvey for the first time and yeah, there's just a lot of little things that are nice little tidbits for, for the future. Um, but let's see. Yeah. And Sean basically says there's, there'll be no team, no change to the team until they don't have a chance at the playoffs. And up next is the final game of the season. If you if they win, they're in the playoffs. If they lose, they're out. Uh, Rob wakes up. He's up probably at four um, to watch a 4.30 game in Los Angeles, uh, which is not the easiest thing to do. Uh, I mean, I know there are people out there who wake up at 4 a.m., and I'm sure Rob wakes up way earlier than I do. I'm like... 6.30 to 7. 
kind of guy. Uh, but waking up at four in the morning, which I've definitely done. My brother and I woke up at, uh, I believe it was four, to reserve our show up at our favorite pub to watch the World Cup so we could get our table before anybody else got there. And it was fantastic. We had a great day. Uh, we watched soccer from morning to night. It was wonderful. So uh, I under completely understand the idea of waking up that early just to watch, just to watch football. And it's, you know, it ends up being delightful. Uh, this is our first time we see the team in action in a game, really. Like I said with the last episode, you, you see some action. You see those stupid COVID games where I just say it's an elevated scrimmage because it's idiotic to play in front of no no fans. I just think it's dumb. And so this is the first like live game, really intense, good action. And it's a fantastic game. Nil-nil at half. Dean Keats gives a very mediocre halftime speech about playing the occasion, not the game, or something like that. Uh, it's mediocre halftime speech. You got to pump them up. If if your if your job is on the line and your season is on the line, you got to do something better than that. That was an unfortunate halftime speech. And you can tell, obviously later on, you can tell the massive difference between Keats and Parkey. Parkinson will get you jacked up. He will tell you what is wrong and he will not let you live it down. He will make you fix it. Um, and that's, that's the kind of coach you need and that's the kind of coach they ended up getting. So um, immediately after halftime, Rutherford gets a red card. They just topped off, capped off his his career there at Wrexham with a miserable, terrible challenge to get him a red card. And then you kind of see him freak out in the locker room. Can't really tell if that's a real reaction or not. I mean, I feel like I would be freaking out too and pissed off, but when the cameras are around, you just don't know. Yeah, terrible challenge, terrible red card. Uh, and... I forget who they were playing. I literally just watched it and I forgot who they were playing, but the other team scores. Wrexham is able to equalize it in the 89th minute to give themselves a little bit of hope, but they have to win. And so they get a, they get a breakaway down the field, miss a shot, and then that pretty much ends it. Failure, Wrexham not in the playoffs, Wrexham not promoted. And yeah, it's an example of the old Wrexham. It's the final nail in the coffin. Change is coming. We cut to Rob. Rob hates losing. Who doesn't? Like, who, who, who enjoys losing? Everyone hates to lose. I mean, there are some people that, that it doesn't bother as much, and there are some people who aren't as competitive, but no one likes losing. Um, and yeah, I mean, I have very visceral, strong reactions to losing. Some of my biggest family and marital fights are over games that we play. So yeah, there's something to it. Uh, I completely understand Rob's point of view, but Ryan gets on the phone and calms him down and 
Ryan always tends to be the patient voice of reason, which you wouldn't really think would be Ryan's role in this, although I guess if you met Rob or saw him, you know, a Philadelphia guy and a Canadian guy, you're going to go with the Philadelphia guy as the hothead, impatient one, 100% of the time. Yeah, they aim to avoid losing, but change is imminent, rebuilding is imminent. Keats's final locker room speech was decent. Uh, everyone understood the uncertainty, uncertainty of the future. And the day after, Paul Rutherford and 10 others were released. On May 30th of that year, Dean Keats and his coaching staff were fired. And you kind of just feel a little bit bad for Paul, um, it being the end of his career and all. Uh, that's not the easiest thing to, to stomach. Uh, I still have, <laughs> there are times when I still have trouble accepting that uh, I'd never made it to the NBA, <laughs> which is a ridiculous thing. I'm 36 years old, and the idea that I could have been playing in the NBA till my age right now is patently ridiculous. I maybe could have made it onto a D-League squad or G-League squad, in the NBA, but once once I tore my ACL twice, it was it was pretty much game over for that. So uh, I never really had the heart or the drive to keep going. So, but Paul clearly did. And Paul clearly loves the sport, loves playing it, had a long career, and yeah, you kind of end with him and seeing the old regime fade out and. It's time to rebuild. It's time to do something new. Yeah, I love that they called this episode reality because the whole first episode is this like chaotic, it's almost a dream sequence, honestly. It's this chaotic craziness of events that don't happen to normal people, don't happen to everyday people, and don't happen to basically anyone almost ever. And so it's this whole episode of, dreams coming true, and then wham, you're just smacked with reality. You're smacked with the fact that things do not go according to your plan. You cannot fix things just by wanting them fixed. Um, you have to put in the hard work, whether that's firing people, whether that's working a little harder in the weight room, training harder, being a better coach. Um, you just got to be better, and that's kind of what this episode is about. So... That's it for this one, y'all. Thank y'all so much. Hopefully I don't have to record any more from an airport, although I can't guarantee that. I hope y'all enjoyed this one. Go follow me on Instagram, Twitter, um, WXM Texan, uh, Rexham Texan. I try to post on there, especially during the games, but I try to post on there during the weeks. Uh, I'm not as good with posting on Twitter, but I post plenty on Instagram. So... Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Up the town. And if you knock my soul with all your strength, you're gonna find it. You're gonna find it.